Welcome back to the I Am Healing Strong podcast. I'm Allie Powell. I'm Jim Mann. Thanks for having me. No, you're not. Okay. I'm Jim Boy. (laughs) I got that a lot in school. Jim Boy. All right, Jim. So you did another interview this week without me because you like to not have me around. Well, you're busy and I have nothing to do. So it kind of works out that way. That may be more true. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But this one is, I know that you're surrounded by some truly um, impressive and powerful women, Jim. You're talking about you? But but this one, yeah, maybe talking about me. (laughs) But this one um, may definitely dwarf me. She's pretty impressive. Yes, she is. I was uh, I was almost intimidated going into this, but then she's so easy to talk to that I'm like, oh, we're like the same, except for not. But uh, it's right, and I and I butcher her name, of course, like I do most. But it's Carol Robles, Robles, Roman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Carol, I called her, okay. and wow. her story intersects with Cecilia Defoe. It's just incredible. You. You should have been there, Allie. It's woven together like patchwork. I was there. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I listened just like you did. Yeah, well, the fact, I mean, she's a lawyer. That's intimidating to me. People who can talk for a living and, and convince people of things. I can't. I fold immediately. So I would never be a lawyer. But a lawyer, she's a law professor. She's married to a federal judge. She's and counsel for politicians. Mayor Bloomberg. So yeah, for 12 I years, mean, I think she's it was. just... I honestly, her story is pretty incredible too. I tried to impress her with the fact I drove a bus for Disney, but I don't know if it worked. I had that magic dust. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay no Jim. Impressed. Well, anyway, this is an incredible story, and, and both of them were on there. I could have just, I could have done an interview with each of them separately, but their stories are incredible. How God just orchestrates them together. So listen to this. Carol Rubliss Roman. Did I do that right? Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> just like a native. Yeah. yeah, I'll just call you Carol from now on, though, <laughs> just to play it safe. <laughs> it's so good to sit down and talk with you. The pleasure's mine. Thank you for the invitation. And we also have the pleasure of having Cecilia Defoe. How are you doing? Happy to be on um, the panel with you and Carol. Very good people. Healing strong. Yes, you're both up there in, in the small little town of New York City, right? That's right. Nothing goes on here, Jim. That's right. Out in the boonies. That's what you are. (laughs) Well, Carol, we can spend, you know, the next six hours talking about the different things that you have done in your career. I mean, you're a lawyer. You're a professor of law. You were assistant counsel to to, uh, Mayor Bloomberg. And your husband's a federal judge. I was the counsel, but I, I won't I won't quiver. <laughs> oh, let me mark out assistant. Where did I get that? Oh my gosh, I don't want to cross that family. <laughs> so things were going good. Was that like your dream job? Um, I have to say that every position I've ever had felt like my dream job when I had it. So so I've been extremely lucky. But that position was wonderful because you really got to help a lot of people. And when you're working for like a chief executive who that was his number one goal, it, it's just very exciting. And you felt like, wow, this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, but of course, there's always going to be more, but you don't really know that at the time. That is so far out of my wheelhouse. My brain hurts just thinking about what you <laughs> did. Now me, you know, I drove a bus for Disney once. Is that impressive? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been for me if you would have gotten me in front of the line to meet the well, characters. 
There you go. I could have done that for you. I had the magic dust on me at the time. That's it. That's it. It came with the job, of course. That's it. That was incredible. Of course, that puts you right in the heart of New York, where all the action is, New York City, that is. And uh, that dreadful day of 9-11, tell me about that. How close were you to that? Well, the position that I had when I was um, involved with the World Trade Center work was I was actually special counsel to the then chief judge of the state of New York and the chief administrative judge. That was just before my, my deputy mayor appointment. And I was called to really appear on ground zero the very next day and the day after um, the court officers were involved in the rescue and the recovery. And I was a, a chief administrator who was called upon to, you know, hey, what's going on there? Put some eyes there. Uh, let's see how we can keep people safe. What exactly is going on? And it was it was bedlam. It was a mess. There was no rhyme. There was no reason. Uh, there was no mask. There was no PPE. Um, it was just everybody trying to do good at the same time with absolutely no, no order. So the, you know, the good news is that you had really the whole world coming together in, in Manhattan, yeah. in that small area. Um, for the world to see volunteers, um, people who were there in their professional capacity like me, um, all for the good. And, and what was the bad that happened is because it was done, frankly, in such a sloppy and irresponsible manner, I, I, you know, from a safety perspective, um, many people who were there to, to help and to save came down with, with illnesses. And, and I was, um, you know, regrettably one of them. Obviously, most of those our, our mm -hmm. police officers, our firemen, uh, many of our, our first responders. And right. interesting, because I was there in my official capacity, um, I was, um, when, I, when I was diagnosed with stage three lung cancer, um, it was determined that I was there and was certified as a, as a general responder. Um, and right. it was probably one of the, mo the most devastating thing that has ever happened to me. That probably can be said to anybody, right? When you get your your cancer diagnosis. And, right. and then, you know, for, for those of your listeners that don't know, lung cancer is, you know, the most deadly, um, the most, you know, lethal. Uh, so, you know, you go to your computer, oh, okay, can't, how bad can it be? Mm -mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Google is not kind in that area. No, Google is not kind. No. No, and that and that was I totally agree with that. It it was amazing to watch people. I mean, with all the divisions we're having now, and there always has been divisions between people and all that kind of stuff. But when something like this happens, to watch everybody come together and just help each other is incredible. But the downside, of course, besides those who are lost their lives, but those of you that were there, your lungs just filling up with all those toxins, and, and that's really what did it for you, right? It, it, it really was, and the, um, there's no going back. And, and for mm. me personally, at the time that I was there, uh, I have mm -hmm. very good instincts, and I just knew I shouldn't be there. I just knew this doesn't feel safe. Um, one of the issues that I was there to do was to advocate that the, that the rescue and recovery people should be given masks and not the little paper-thin ones that they bought themselves at the you know yeah. pharmacy. Uh, and, and frankly, to no avail. It was sort of like the wild, wild west. Hey, you're here. You know, pick up a shovel. And I should have trusted my instincts. And so that was part of when I was diagnosed. Just a very heavy uh, malaise on my part. I should have known better. I should have. I should have. I should have. I should have. Um, again, 
as for those of us who um, have undergone these type of illnesses, not uncommon at all, right? You second guess yourself, you right. blame yourself. Um, and, and, and obviously that's probably one of the worst things one can do for one's recovery. And how long from that point on till you, till you got your diagnosis? I got my diagnosis in April 2017. So wow. after 9-11 and soon thereafter, when I was appointed deputy mayor and I went on to my, you know, <laughs> illustrious legal career, I buried it. I buried the trauma. Um, I had tremendous PTSD, just the mm. things that you see, the experience, um, and just put it away in some deep, dark drawer, never to be opened again. And then you get this cancer diagnosis and, and you open this box and you realize that, you know, these, the, the, the ramifications of, of what took place has, has come back in a very, in a very dramatic way. And, and at that time being stage three, it was, it was a rush. It was, we have to rush to make, get you surgery. We have to rush to make sure you get chemo and radiation um, because the fear was that it was going to become systemic and, mm -hmm. and go to, as you know, to go to an organ. So I didn't have time to really think. And I was just kind of um, running, <laughs> running in place. Right. So the surgery took place almost you know, maybe, maybe two months later, two or three months later after the, the diagnosis. And, um, and that's when um, I, I was, you know, I wasn't even thinking. And when that was how I, I got to meet Cecilia and, and really, I would say, learn for the first time in my life what is illness and what is healing? Because most of us think healing is like, I'm cured. You know, <laughs> I feel great. Yeah. And that's not healing. That, that's not healing. Of course, you're battling for your life, which means your priorities change, you know, from your, your fantastic career to realizing, well, I'm fighting for my very life. None of this really means anything if I'm not alive. Take us to that wonderful, horrible yet wonderful night uh, in July of 2017 when this lowly teacher just happened to show up in your room while you're hallucinating on these uh, drugs that they gave you, of course, the, you know, for the pain, but you're going through quite the drama. And then it was, there's a little angel. It was, it was very, I have to say it was hellish for a couple of different reasons. Um, right. I can't take opiates. So when they did my lobectomy and they, you know, took out half my lung, they kept telling me, well, we have to give you these opiates that, you know, thoracic surgery is probably the most painful kind of surgery one can have. And I said, no, I can't have opiates. I had it once when my daughter was born 20 years ago and I had suicidal ideation and I'm not, you know, it was not mm. in my character at all. And the doctor at the time said, oh my gosh, this is a very rare, but not unknown side effect of an opiate that had given me, I think morphine at the time. And he said, do not, you know, memo to self, do not take morphine. So in any, or any opiate, so in any, I mean, if I can go to a foot doctor to get a nail removed and I put very clearly, no opiates, no opiates. Wow. So, so this was not, this was a big deal. Um, so I'm in the hospital and none of the medicines are kind of taking and I'm in, I'm in agony. I haven't slept for three days. Uh, they kept saying, well, we're going to try this and we'll try that. And on the third day, now at this point, the anesthesia is worn off and they realize because of the amount of pain at this point that I'm in, they must have cut a nerve. So now I don't know if you've ever had that kind of pain, Jim, but that's like pain on top of pain. Mm -mm. And at that point, they must have figured, oh, well, just give her the, 
give her the morphine and she's not really going to, you know, the hallucinations will be a, a welcome respite. So what happened was exactly what I knew was going to happen had I known. And I began to have um, hallucinations where the pain was so intense that there was just a voice telling me to just put my face in the pillow and just breathe in and, and not to breathe in and that the pain would stop. And it take, makes total sense. And the conscious part of me, the little part that was still saying, no, this can't be so, you know, I'm a Catholic and, and, and that's just not, that doesn't, it's not something that would ever enter into my conscious brain. And so I was just saying Psalms 23. And at that point I wasn't really a student of scripture. I was just saying it in my own, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And just whatever, whatever way I can remember it. And I just kept trying to just say it over and over again. And, and so finally the pain was just so intense. I just said, Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to listen to the voice. Um, and I'm just going to do this. And at that point, I just saw like a vision of, of Jesus on the cross. And he kind of looked at me and said, you think you're in more pain than me? I don't think so. And I hmm. just, I was so ashamed of myself that I was succumbing. And I was like, I have no choice. This is just too much. And, and I was just kind of resigning myself to do it, to putting my face in the pillow, uh, like this little voice was telling me. And all of a sudden, so I'll tell the story from my perspective, and then I want to hand it over to Celia, because whenever we talk about it, it's just, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm remembering this from my, you know, opiate-induced hallucination. <laughs> um, and, and I just hear this voice say, Sister Carol, Sister Carol. And, I, and I'm like, who, who, uh, who's, who's calling me? It's maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I realized, so the little con little piece of consciousness, I said, oh my God, it's my roommate. And I just start. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm in so much pain. I'm so sorry. And she says, no, Sister Carol, no, Sister Carol. This is, whatever you're experiencing is not real. It's not real, Sister Carol. Sister Carol, are we going to pray? Sister Carol, this is not, and so then I'm going to give it, I'm going to hand it to Cecilia. And again, we don't know each other. We have, I'm in the room for three days, you know, barfing and doing all the things that people do after <laughs> surgery. She's, she's just had surgery. Um, and, and I, I, I saw her across the room. Now, first, I just want to set up that Cecilia looked, Cecilia and I are the same age and Cecilia looked, I thought she was about 78, 79 years old. And mm. she looked, she weighed about 70 pounds, 80 pounds. And she looked like somebody who was T terminal in every sense of the work. You know, this, this woman has a month to live and, and, and it's very sad that, that, you know, she's stuck with me <laughs> as a roommate. <laughs> so, so that's who I'm thinking is in, is in the other bed. Wow. Cecilia. Hello. <laughs> now be honest with me now. Did you think I'm in a room with a crazy lady <laughs> or, or did you think, Hey, God has me at this place for a reason? Which, which way? I, I think the latter. God had me in this place for a reason. Because prior to Carol, I had two other roommates, and they were not the best. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were not the best um, roommates you wanted. So she was the third one who came into the third person who came into the who they brought into the room that evening. And I remembered when her family, when she came in, her family, her sisters, and her husband, and the others were with her. Although, you know, so they introduced me. And that's the reason when I, I got to find out that her name, you know, got to know her name, Carol. And she, mm. like she said, we were both under in tremendous pain because I was also on morphine. And um, I had this um, where where you were once the pain got 
too intense that you could um it would release like every 15 minutes when I you know would press that button yes. but I knew morphine was like one of the last drugs that I wanted in my body and then so I would try to delay not having the drug so in between I would go in and out and then try to get some sleep and that evening it was the day was quiet because her family was with her but in the evening, I heard her a bit agonizing, and I was not just in the realm of sleep. And she was really, really battling, but I didn't know what she was going through because I had no idea that she's been through this story that she just related to you. So I heard her just moaning, and um, she is moaning and groaning, and then she's like, oh, oh, and she was calling a lot, you know, calling out for her husband, Nelson. So what I did when I heard her, it's like I just tried, I tried to be, to remain, you know, private in my own little world. But something in me just told me that you had to just move over, just look over. So once I pulled the, the my curtain, which divided us, um, in the room, I saw her and her bed, like she was in a supination position, because her bed was elevated and she had the pillow like under her. Her chair, like you know, like she embraced, like she was embracing the pillow. I said, "Sister," I said, "No, I, I said, I'm not going to call you Carol. I'm going to call you sister because I know at this point in my life I can call you a sister because I think I have earned it through my, you know, through God's um grace to call you sister." And I, I told her, "Please, please, whatever you're going through is just a trial, and it's just an attack from the enemy." And I had, as I told, and I told her that. I have been through many of those situations, just like she was going through and she had experienced it. Prior to this that hospitalization, I was hospitalized nine times, the longest being 22 days. And I had wow. surgeries, transfusions, pneumonia, just, just whatever. And I was just so emaciated from the cancer from 165 to 85 pounds. I said, Sister Carol, please don't. She just she said, so I told her, I'm I said, I don't know your religion. I said, I I said, I told her I'm Catholic, but I still felt that as a Catholic, um as someone follow, you know, following the Catholic faith, that I had to reach further and deeper into my faith. And that's where I established that connection with God deeper so that I could know that through him I could get my healing. And that's where I had my visions from. So I told her, um, I said, no. I said, no, we are going to pray. I said, we are going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Then she said to me, I'm Catholic also. But I give him 95, I give him 75%. I say, you do not give, you don't hold back on anything. You give him everything. You give it all to Jesus. And from that side, we pray. We say the Lord's Prayer and then we recited um, the Lord is my shepherd. And I said, um, from here on, we will just pray. I said, we can't get out of bed as we would love to, to come over to each other, but we will pray with each other. And that evening, she was really, really in some dying pain. She was desperate. I guess this is what um, the idolation was causing at the time. Wow. I'd pay extra for a roommate like that. <laughs> It was, it was, and I want you to picture it, Jim. So she's on one side of the room and I'm on the other. So this whole religious, spiritual experience is taking place just like two women in opposite sides of the room with a, with a, with a sheet between us. Yes. Um, and even in, with, despite the, the distance and the, and the lack of proximity, we couldn't even see each other. Um, there was something, God's presence was, was in that room. Uh, and I fell asleep. 
I, I don't know how. It was the first time in three days that I, that I fell asleep. Uh, the next morning I woke up and I was sort of like, did that really happen? <laughs> and I knew something happened, but I wasn't sure if what I was remembering was another hallucination, like even the, the, the whole prayer. So somebody had gifted me a beautiful, beautiful orchid. So I went over to her. I don't know how I even got myself out of bed, but I did. And I went over to her bed and I um, introduced myself and she said, oh, I know who you are. Uh, and I, <laughs> I said, I'd, I'd like to gift you this orchid because I think I think something happened here last night, but I'm not sure. But I'm not sure what. Can you tell me what happened? And so Cecilia, two things happened. Cecilia started to tell me what happened. Um, and then she just she just started kind of I don't want to say lecturing me because that's the wrong word. It was like it was the first time. I was retaught um, about what healing through God's grace and mercy really was. I mean, obviously, I, I went to Fordham University. I, I, I took classes in, in in theology and philosophy, and I'd studied, but this was real. And and, and Cecilia, I'm going to give hand it to you in terms of yes. you know the things that you were telling. And I'm like a wide eyed little kid, um, taking it all taking it all in. It's a little skeptical, you know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to lie about that. Also, yes. And I, I think what ha- the ability for me to, you know, tell you that story is because you know, is if I backtrack to when I was first diagnosed, I remember that day. Um, it, I, my daughter and I, were, you know, I. It just happened that I just couldn't eat no swallow no drink and nothing. You know, there is was total blockage. So everything I would try to take in would. I it, within seconds I would just um regurgitate it. it just, so then I it continued so rapidly that uh, my daughter had to call the emergency. So there they took us to the um took me to the hospital. My husband was in Albany at the time working. So here I am. My daughter is in, is twelve years old and she's in the emergency room waiting with me. And then they took me in um into the emergency room, decided that they were going to get scans and all of this done. So at that t- evening, while I'm still in the emergency room, here comes a doctor. And then he says to me at the bedside, he says to me, um, have you had surgery before? I said, no. He says, what? So then I asked him why. I said, what are you, what, what's the reason? He said, well, I just looked at your skin. I said, you just looked at my skin. So what is the, what is happening? He said, well, I can't disclose anything to you, but what I'm seeing is not, I'm not liking it because I've seen several like these before. So immediately once he told me this, it just hmm. brought me, you know, into that frantic, put me into that frantic mood and I didn't know what to do. So here I am, my daughter is outside and I'm screaming, I'm bawling at the top of my lungs in this in, in the emergency room. And then there was this lady who was way across from, I don't know where she came from, and she came over with this soothing, and she's like coming. She said, honey, I am going to do my best to take care of you. I am going to, add, you know, from here and from here in, I will I will take care of you. I'll be your nurse in the your doctor. So then I asked, who are you? She said, um, you know, I can't remember the, her name. So I, she said, the, the, the issue is right now, we can't send you home for the evening, so I um. But we'll have to admit you once we find a bed. I said. I said. But I have my daughter who's in the waiting room, and um. How am I to let her know that this is going to happen? She said, "I will find out what's her name. I'll go to the emergency to the waiting area, 
and let her know who you are, you know, what's going and but not tell her. So then they asked me, do I know and would um do I know anyone in that area who could come to pick her up? So of course I said, well, um, my daughter went to school not too far. This was at the SUNY Dong State Hospital. And um, I said, my daughter is, um, she went to school not too far away. So I said, oh, well, I'll, you know, call someone who used to pick her up then and they'll come get her. So once they came together, I went up. So the morning, the first thing the air was like, I slept through the evening. Uh, I went upstairs, just didn't sleep. I'm sorry. In the morning when I woke up, the, there was a team of doctors I saw at my bedside. So I said, well, something, you know, something is happening. Hmm. What's going on? And they said, well, quickly, emergency, emergency, we have to get you down to do an endoscopy. So I said, okay. We went to, they took me down to the endoscopy room and did the endoscopy. My husband was already en route to Brooklyn to meet me. When he, when, um, at the end of the, when I woke up from the, from the um, anesthesia, the doctor says to me, um, where's your husband? I said, where's my husband? Why aren't you? I said, I had the endoscopy, so I believe you should be telling me what's wrong instead of um, going to my husband first. He said, no, I can't break. I, can't, I have to talk to him first. So after my husband came into the room, then he um, opened up and he said, well, I'm sorry, this is the case. And this is you. Have, she has this enlarged, this um, cyst right in at the, the distal portion of her esophagus, the junction for esophagus, and um, and and stomach. So I said, um, well, what are you going to do? So he said, well, here on in, we just have to keep you upstairs, and we are going to see what you can do and assign a team to you. On my way up into the elevator, I just felt the spirit just, you know, just this being, my whole being, my whole room just change. And he said to me, I heard a quiet voice said to me, do not worry. You will be all right. You will be all right. And wow. softly as that, I went down crying. And when I went back to the upstairs to my room, I was smiling. And then here comes the, the doctors, everyone asking, why are you smiling? Why are you smiling? I said, this is because I had this revelation and I'm not going to make no one take it away from me. This is between me and my God. So whenever the doctors would come in the room, the team came in, I said, first, I would say, can we just first say a prayer like you did, Jim, before we started? Let's first say a prayer and just whatever it is. I said, God bless this room and purify this place. Um, make sure you put your spirit in here so that whatever is done is through your will. And that's what I parted on to Carol. Well, and let me, and, and she picks up her Bible. I'll never forget. She says, this is what's going to heal you. The doctors, they're operating, you know, we pray for them to, to be following God's will, but this is what's going to heal you. And I'm thinking, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> and she says, and she says, I'm healed, Carol. I'm healed by his stripes. I am healed. Now, Jim, I want you to picture this. A woman, she, she had no, no, no muscle mass whatsoever. She was like hunched over like a, like an elderly, you know, elderly woman when, when, when they get kind of like the, 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 the shoulders stoop over uh -huh. and, and then she says, oh, and you know, I'm your age. And she figured out how old I was by, you know, the they put the the things that you have to measure urine. <laughs> and it has your date, my date of birth on it. And yes. so I had mine and hers in the bathroom. And yes. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, we're the same age. Oh, my God. She's not well. She, I'm thinking she's she's 80. And she says, yeah, I'm, I'm 55 like you, 1962. I said, oh, my God. The cancer has ravaged her body and her mind. She thinks... She thinks she is healed, 
this poor, poor, wonderful, wonderful woman who saved my life, right? She, there's no doubt in my mind, as I talk to you today, that had she not been in the room and interceded, uh, the, the hallucination, the, the suicidal ideation would have, would, have, would have been the best of me. So I'm going yeah. to fast forward. We, t- we stay in touch, you know, via text, and we send each other cards and prayers, but we don't see each other. And I'd say about a, maybe a year and a half later, Cecilia, a year yes, later. a year later. A year later, we make a plan. We're going to have a reunion. We're going to meet in the hospital, uh, in the hospital cafeteria. And, you know, I get there. She gets there. And I'm like, a half an hour goes by. And I was like, hmm, Cecilia's late. And she's texting me like, where are you? And I think maybe she called me. And we're like talking on the phone. And you could hear the voice. And we are, <laughs> we're sitting next to each other practically. She was stunning. So she's... She's this, I, I call her sexy mama. She's this <laughs> incredibly vivacious African-American woman. And she, I remember you were wearing these great dungaree jeans that look really terrific on you. And I looked over and she goes, Carol, we were right next to each other. And I said, Cecilia? <laughs> and she said, Carol, I told you. Like, in other words, like ye of little faith. She was, <laughs> she was, I, I never in a million years. So I saw that and I said, oh my goodness. God is so good. And, and today she's no evidence of disease. So she went from stage four cancer. Esophageal, yes. Esophageal, where the doctors had told her husband, you know, gee whiz, you know, start preparing, start preparing the family. Uh, and that was the other story you told me in the hospital. I don't know if you remember. Yes. She said the day is going to come where they're going to look you in the eyes and they're going to look very sad and pathetic. And they're going to start telling you to draw up your business or whatever. And she says, you, you have your husband, throw them out of the room <laughs> like my husband did. So she said, that's what her husband, she, she, she told me exactly how to say it. And who says what? She says, you don't listen to that. She says, God will tell you. When your time comes, you'll know. You'll know. Um, but, but he's the one who's going to tell you. You don't, you don't listen to, you don't allow that kind of negativity to interfere with God's healing, grace, and mercy. Yes. Mm. And um, also, I uh, during the time um, that I went through that ordeal, I had to separate my true friends, the people I'm from, just regular people, because uh, it's like what I did. I never allow someone to come into my space and say that I knew of someone or who's battling this, this um, cancer or something. So I just went through my my. It, this wasn't just me only, my family, my husband also. And um, I always ask God, whoever is coming through my doors, let it be someone who can bring some radiance to my life, who can bring some upliftment into my life. Even at home, I had a home health aid and I had nurses. Whenever they came, I would just pray for someone, you know, who was just, who knew someone, at least who knew, who brought over some the spirit, you know, had the enlightenment in them. Not someone who was just going to weigh me down because I had been through the rough and um, I was trying to find myself. And finding myself would be like finding a gem to pull out of that rough. And that's what I had to do. Those lessons, I have to say, I, I, I saw it. I internalized it um, in November of 2019. Unfortunately, I got my, you know, my terminal diagnosis, you know, and it was it was interesting because I was, as it was taking place and I was having the meeting with the doctor, it's like I kind of could hear Cecilia in the background because I could hear it coming. I could see, I saw the look on the doctor's face. The, the PET scan results came in. And she, what she said and what I heard are two different things. 
But um, and, and I don't think she necessarily used the words get your affair in order. She used the bucket list. She says, I think it's time for you to stop working, um, you know, get your bucket list together. And and I said, stop working. You kept telling me that, you know, keep working because that's going to keep you alive. And she kind of looked at me like, mm, that's hmm. like, 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 like you're a smart woman. Conclude what's happening here. I heard half of it. And, and I walk and I, my mind just wouldn't hear the rest of it. Um, but I did hear stage four. I did hear stage four lung cancer. I did hear metastasis to spine and hip and that there was no explanation as to why there was so much metastasis in such a short period of time. And, and this was about, you know, two months before, before, you know, COVID hit and the world breaks down and I used all my, you know, special resources and I consulted, you know, world experts and I got a first opinion, a second opinion and a third opinion. And they were all like, you know, you have to do chemo, um, every three weeks for the rest of your life. And that life expectancy Mm. is, you know, that look in the face, like, I said, Oh my gosh. So chemo didn't make sense to me because I saw what was happening with the pandemic, but they insisted. And so I said, okay, I'll, you know, you tell me I'm going to die if I don't have chemo, then what am I going to do? So I do two rounds of chemo and then they close down the hospital. They close down the world. And so now they have to bring me in and they can't even look at, cause I kept telling them, you're going to wipe out my immune system in the middle of a pandemic. I just didn't understand, but they did. And the, <laughs> the, the, the immune system was wiped out. I did the two sessions and they brought me in and said, we, we don't even know how to tell you this, but we can't give you any more chemo. And I said, okay, but you said if I don't have chemo, I'm going to die, right? Or And they like, you found some magic bullet or there's going to be something else. And they all kind of like, it sucks to be you. You know, it was kind of like that, <laughs> that look. And, yeah. and that is when I discovered, uh, I, I went through a very, very, I just kind of tanked and went through an incredible malaise. I said, okay, I'm in a pandemic. I've got no immune system. They can't give me any more chemo. They said, that's the only way I'm going to stay alive. And that's when I discovered um, square one. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to have to go rogue here. Uh, they said, whatever you do, you know, just, just hold tight. I'm sure we'll be able to give you chemo soon. Uh, just don't go on any crazy diets. Don't start taking any crazy supplements. You know, don't do <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I, I started the Square One program. And as you know, uh, uh, one of the big components of the Square One program is the spirituality. And he makes a series of very wonderful recommendations. And one of them was Healing Strong. And, and I started um, in, in, in 2020 doing Healing Strong online. And I just immediately just gravitated to the, to the Monday morning group. Um, and I, about that same time, they started doing Around the Word in, in 80 days. And that was really my first exposure to, to reading the Bible in, in, its, in its totality. In, in the context that it was meant to be read and not in little, you know, Sunday mass snippets where, you know, somebody else is explaining to you what it means that you're reading it and you're, you're understanding it for yourself. So mm-hmm. that was an incredible, incredible godsend. And, and then I saw another sort of integrated doctor and I just, for those three months from, I think it was from March to June, I just, I prayed. I think I spent at least three hours a day in prayer, um, an hour a day on the on the you know on the on the prayer line, uh, and I just kept doing everything. And I lost about forty pounds, but because I wanted to, I got a personal trainer. 
I did all the square one things, the juicing. And when I went back in June, finally, and they did the PET scan and I come in looking like a supermodel and I did it on purpose. I got my hair cut. I got a new outfit. <laughs> I wanted to show them, oh yeah. Okay. I want to make sure you, you understand that I didn't just sit on my thumbs waiting for some, you know, thing to happen. I prayed, I got on my hands and knees and I prayed and I, and I took matters into my own hands. So when they did the PET scan, they were just like all looking at each other like, oh my God, most of your lesions are sclerotic, which means, as you know, healed over. Um, like I'm not cured. I'm not NED. And I have maintained that level of fitness, that level of vitality. And I'm, I'm still, I still have cancer, right? And probably if we all took PET scans tomorrow, the people who aren't diagnosed, but they, they'll, they'll find something in you. Um, but the fact is that I've probably never felt healthier, uh, and never exuded the level of, of energy that I do now. And I have not had chemo since wow. March of 2020. And, and every time I come back, the doctor keeps looking at me like, Carol, I said, you I said, doctor, here I am. And she says, you know, I, and it does progress. And she said, it's slight progression. I go on, I know how to read. I read the plep head that says <laughs> slight S L I G H T. And I feel fine. So when it says a lot, then we'll, we'll have a conversation. But and when people look at me and they go, Oh my God, how did you do that? And they want me to, it was it the supplements. Was it the juice? And I go, it was the power of the Holy spirit. And they look at me and they go, I think it was the juice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't obtained supermodel status myself, <laughs> but I do have people that haven't seen me for a while and they're always shocked. Like, Oh, you look healthy. I said, yeah, I can't wait till they say supermodel. Hopefully we'll get to that point. But, but yeah, they're just, people are shocked and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad they are. The doctors are even shocked when I go back, but so how, how are you maintaining now is just basically doing what the square one taught you and, and having, uh, people surround you like healing strong. I'm doing, I'm doing square one still. Uh, I, I do have, I, I take a daily, uh, pill that is meant for my lung cancer. And, and mm -hmm. thankfully, um, the doctors have determined that I can, it's a, it's a, you know, state of the art drug that I can still take it, uh, despite the quote, slight progression. And, and I always say slight, I always point to the word, see, that's a slight. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I do, I do some, I have had, um, two, two bouts of, of radiation and I make sure that anything that I do from now on is, um, is to bring God glory. And I've never operated on that plane. I've always been very quiet with my spirituality. God has been laying on my heart. And it's one of the reasons why, um, I, I connected so with healing strong because I would, I would do the programs and, and I think it was Susie one day who called because I would just like volunteer little snippets here and there. And she mm. called me up one day and say, you have to do your testimony. I said, my testimony, are you insane? No way. <laughs> she said, you have no idea. Even the little things that you say, whenever you, you speak, people really listen and you, you, you have a lot to say and you motivate people and your story is so powerful. So, so I said, oh gosh, no way. Uh-uh, this is just not in my, and I'm a trained public speaker. I said, this is not, you know, my religion is like tucked in a drawer somewhere. 
Um, and so they really, they really encouraged me. They worked with me on, on how to present my story. And so I, I did. And so of course I did it by myself. And so then of course I get a call and everybody wants to know who's Cecilia. We want to meet Cecilia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they made me do it again three months later. And they said, no, this time we want to meet Cecilia. You keep quiet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And Cecilia, what, what, what are you doing to maintain? I mean, what kind of lifestyle do you lead now? Um, well, after this, uh, in 2017, that's when I met, I stopped um, being a high school teacher, a high school biology science teacher mm-hmm. for like 15 years. I decided to stay home and not go back to the public um, education system. So what I do in my time, I stay around. I do adult, during the summer. I did spring into the summer. I do a lot of gardening in my backyard. And um, during the fall, during the winter months, I would do, you know, I just try to do things around the house like reading. What I do also is to do continue with my juicing. Um, then I'm able some, it's like, it's funny that certain of the things that I used when I was juicing, it's like, you know, because I had that G-tube for like three years. So everything was going directly to my, you know, to my stomach. But now sometimes I have to fight with the taste to get it down. So I do this, and um, basically what I do at Sloan's, what they, ha- what they do every month, they have me under surveillance. So every six months, I go in for a PET scan and an endoscopy. So the endoscopy is to see out, um, what is happening inside of my, in the, that portion of my esophagus. And mm-hmm. um, so prior to that, I had to undergo um, esophagectomy where Pretty much three quarters of my intestines was removed. Of my, I'm sorry, my esophagus was removed. So wow. there are certain things that I cannot, I can and cannot eat. So my stomach, with that, it's like a sleeve. My stomach, my was kind of sleeved up into my chest cavity. So it's really um, difficult for me to climb stairs, or for me to just get very physical, like doing exercise. You know, going through a routine exercise regimen. Oh, I'm just anything. And at evenings, what I do when I'm sleeping, I have a one of the foam pillows, the wedges, which is 45 degree angle. So I have to mm-hmm. put my head on that um, wedge and try to maintain myself in that position. Otherwise, whatever I get, I do get regurgitation because I don't have that spincer muscle in the esophagus, which connects wow. the esophagus and the stomach. So everything from my, what's in my stomach will just will be, you know, I would regurgitate, regurgitate it. So I have to watch what I eat, be very careful, like eat small portions. And um, if we, whenever we go um, out, I can only eat, if I eat the, the, the appetizers, I can't go to the meal. Well, if I'm home, just very, very minute portions. And um, when I go back, it's like the reports and the results from the scans are even better. My doctor, she usually has me. She calls me the star. She's like her star. She says she has the star. And mind you, this is the person who told my my husband that the cancer was systemic and there is nothing else she could do because in Brooklyn they had waited too late. She says, what am I going to do? But then I said, you know, I so the first two visits, she was kind of reluctant when I told my husband, just leave, you know, just leave it in God's hand. We'll pray on it and she'll come along. And now she's my best friend. I can't. It's like the day, the times when I don't see her, I have to call in, call her at her office to ask how she's doing. And whenever she has her fellows who are 
come, you know, who she's trained, they come around. She's always wanting them to meet Cecilia. So it's like I go in and everyone knows who Cecilia is even if, before I get there. So I just continue <laughs> going along with um, my healing um, process. I, what I do in the morning when I wake up at 5.30, I never start. I always start my day with my prayer. It's like I have my devotion time, my spiritual time. So by 9, like 5.30 and between 5.30, 6.30, then I will nap. And by 9, wake up and just have quiet day. And most times it's just... It's just me and my daughter at home, my daughter and I. And then during the time, someone gave me a pop and I I put that pop and I called him Zion, which as I said, that was the Mount Zion that I had to climb. So whenever I wake up in the morning, he's right beside me and just reminds me of where I was and where I am right now. Wow. Another another similarity, um, you know, it occurs to me as Cecilia's talking that both she and I have um, grown daughters who played very important parts in our in our healing in our healing journeys and and it's something that for me was very hard to accept somebody else's help because that's just you know I'm usually the one you know at the at the, at the giving end and and I like it that way um but when I went home ostensibly I'm not sure what to do what during covid and <sighs> you know, I was just very depressed. And my, my daughter kind of looked at me and said, when have you, she's 24, three years old. She had graduated from Georgetown, um, virtually, which was terrible, right? Something that she had spent her whole life, you know, looking mm-hmm. forward to her college graduation. And, and she just looked at me and she just put on almost like a, like a coach's whistle and said, yes. uh-uh, mom, this is not, this is not the way it's going to end up. And she, I turned around one day and I said, what, who bought that sauna? It's like fifteen hundred dollar sauna. She goes, I did. I put it on your credit card. You're gonna get in that. You're gonna get in that sauna every night. And so she bought supplements, and she she did all. I did the square one, and she saw every pro. She she went and she looked at every module. She said, Okay, I, I approve. I approve. I approve. She says, Okay, I bought you the. You know, I bought you the amla. I bought you the moringa. Um, you know, this is. I don't like this juicer. You're gonna buy this juicer. Um, they made sure that I went, I was walking five miles a day and every day at the track, we have a, a park near us and she was relentless. And some days I said, Oh, I'm too tired. She's like, get up, get up, <laughs> put on your sneakers. Um, she, she does look well. When I see her, it's like, <laughs> all I can do is just embrace her. And I was like, you girl, girl, she has really grown and she has, she just has this radiance on her face. And I, you know, when I, I say, you know, the reason why there must be something predestined by God for us to be together, because in all my, my struggles and in all the time, this started from 2014 and um, I went into remission for a while. Then the cancer came back. And that's the time when I went, I met Carol at, you know, 2017 after all of this and having a, gone through these stages and been as she described me. Um, when I go back to the pictures, I still save the pictures. I can look at them to say, this is where I was and this is where I am. My husband can't look at those pictures. My daughter, whenever I would get into that stupor, she would say to me, mom, what did you tell yourself? What are you saying to yourself? You have to, you have to make the affirmation that you are going to get better. You will get better. You will get better. And um, they, it's like whenever they saw me reading anything, they said, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. Nothing. And um, 
did it. Mm. It's like I, you know, when I tell people what I've been through, it's like they were like, no. But I say, if I, if only I could show you the scars as the evidence I have to, you know, then you can say because the people who knew me, even in my church, knew me and then saw me right now, and you know, see me at the point where I am right now. It's like they had, you know this is miraculous. There is, you know, there, we always have to have hope in God. And that's why I told Carol that with our stories, I think we should just not just keep it to ourselves. We should just spread that word. It's like, not like the great commission, but just try to go around and to just let others know that with God's grace and through his mercies that you can accomplish and never, it's always one day. uh, One of my motives was, one day at a time, one day at a time, because you never know if you plan ahead, you never know. And then sometimes you go for a report and the report, the results you wanted, like I received, sometimes were never good. But then, you know what, I came home, I would just say, you know what, this is just one section and one stage. So just, I have to pick myself up and go. And then when I go back, it's like the report was even better than the last report I had. So I'm like, praises to the living God, praises. So that's how we, you know, that's what motivated me. And this was like a four and a half year ordeal for me. And mm. um, I, I'm thankful. Wow. Even yesterday I had to go do a, to, to do a, um, a PET scan. And the doctor called me, on office called me on Tuesday and said that we want you to do um, do and take another PET scan, wait another six months. I, I, then I called Carol. I said, you know what? I'm feeling good right now. I really didn't want to go into the city, into Manhattan today, because when it comes to the train and with all what's going on, I was like, no, I'd just rather be home. So I said, well, you know what we can do? We can just plan on our stories there and just be better prepared and ready to deliver it to you. That's right. Yeah, it makes me want to swing by New York and meet you too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a drive, but... I have, I've seen your pictures. You got your beautiful women, but your beauty actually comes from the inside and that's what really counts. So you're beautiful inside and outside, but you two are radiating through the, uh, through the microphone there. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank yes. you. That means, Thank you. that means a lot to us. And I think that was the point that, that Susie was trying to reinforce in me very, very early on. Um, I, I guess I'll call myself a spiritual neophyte. Um, she said, you have to, and, and I said, you know, I can't even believe you're calling me because God keeps pressing on my, when I pray and he's telling me, you can't keep this to yourself. You have to tell other people, you know, they have, there has to be hope. They have to believe they have to have faith. They have to have faith. And I'm like, well, why doesn't somebody else tell them? (laughs) Why does it have to be me? There's lots of people who could tell them. And and no, no, I, that's, this is why you're here. This is why you're here. It's, this is it. It's not to be a lawyer and it's not to, you know, do all the things that you thought you were on this put on this earth to do. That's that's not it. I'm like, yeah. oh man, this is complicated. <laughs> and, and and during my treatment, I had like maybe about six, seven bouts of chemo, four bouts of radiation, and then after this, I had the immunotherapy. And this was the drug, this the, the new drug that came onto the market, and um, which was Obdivo, and it's it's usually been advertised. So when um that drug, the clinic, my doctor, Doctor Jinjagian at Sloan Skittering. She was the leader, the lead clinician in that um, in that trial. And she just pulled me from whatever I was using, the chemo. And she said, I'm going to put you on this drug. We're going to sign. You're going to go through the consent and everything. And, it, you know, let's go. She said, you have a fighting chance. And believe you have a, ch- a fighting chance. I said, from day one, I've always been saying that I have a fighting chance. And if this is my moment, along with whatever I'm doing, what else I'm doing, let this be. And... Um, 
I had during that time, I developed uh, my lymph node, the cancer had um, metastasized as per it, to my um, the subclave, the lymph node on my, I think, on my neck, subclavian area. And mm-hmm. it became, it got, it grew to the size of a golf ball. So I could not even lean over or turn my body or turn my head around to see anyone on my peripheral vision on the right. So I just had to look always continuously on the left side of forward. And when I took that drug, the first um, initial um, administration of the drug, they, I was I had to be monitored like just to see if there were any drug withdrawals, symptoms, signs. So every 15 minutes, they would check until it was for two hours. And then I went home and doctors called me and they were, you know, monitoring me from home. Then the second week I went in, and I noticed that two the the tumor is just started to it, it was wrong it was like it, first the shape was wrong but then it grew into like a mountain like a funnel so the top and it started it just got so hard and I was like what's going on so when I went in for the second um, dose the second time I brought it over to my doctor and I called her and I she showed so the, the her nurse when her nurse saw it the first she went out to call her. And they came running into the room, and every, then she, when she saw it, she was, oh my god, oh my god, something is happening. Then she called, she went, and she called a few more doctors. They came into the room, and she took her ruler, and she from that week on, she started measuring it, measuring it, measuring the size. Until, but during that time, it was decreasing, and at the end, when she couldn't feel anything, she had me to do a biopsy. And when they do, they did the biopsy. They found there were no cancerous cells in there. But then the the, the, the the cancer in my esophagus was still there. They, that's when they said, sent me to do some radiation. It was like so specific. At that time, imagine how Carol described me. I was just so frail. So when I left, I had to leave Brooklyn at six in the morning to get into the city for like eight because that, and to take that first, I had to take two doses. So the first dose I took at eight and then the second one I had to wait like 10 hours later before I could take the second dose. And so I spent the entire day into in that hospital. And on top of that I had a split I had a um stent in my throat. And mm. um with the stent I could not swallow so I was just in all this pain. And I was on not morphine but you know um fentanyl, just all these drugs I was on trying to just keep the pain to um, to keep, you know, the, to lower the threshold of the pain that I was experiencing. And then when I get the second dose of radiation at seven in the evening, that was for 10 days, um, then I would get, I get, you know, leave and um, travel home. So by that evening, I would get home by 10 and by six in the morning, I had to go back to the same regimen to get back for the, you know, to get to the hospital. It was really grueling, you know, and it was um it was really hard and you know tanking on my body, but I said if that's what had to make me go through, it will. And during that time of the radiation, um the the digital port it created an an an, an anastomosis like an opening in my lung, so bacteria which is like food or what was able to get into that distal portion of my lung through that opening from the esophagus. So just imagine my esophagus and my lung work connected together. And mm-hmm. so whatever I would try to take in, which I wasn't eating anything at that time, went into the lung and then the bacteria developed. Then I had a pneumonia infection and this was another story. So I have been through the rough. I have been through the rough and um, 
I'm just thankful and I'm happy and, you know, excited that I, whenever I meet someone who's going through something, I always tell them that there's always someone who's going through something worse than you are. So just give praises to God and just let him know that he's in control and he will guard and he will protect you. And always something that is, he always says that he will never give us too much that we can carry. That's, 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 right. that's such great advice. And one thing that I find when, when, and I, I know it happens to all of us when we get to that state and we feel either useless or, you know, we've, we've come to the end of the road. There's always something that you can do. When I was, um, at one point I had to do seven weeks of radiation and, and I used to have to take a car into the city every day for seven weeks to get my radiation. Uh, and, and I remember thinking, oh my God, how, how low have I sunk? And I would have to take, and it's, it's, I don't live close and I don't drive. And there was nobody who was able to take me. So I would have to take um, disability transportation. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is like, this is the, what what happened that here I am. (laughs) And so you're riding with other people in the car. You don't know who they are. And uh, the first day I forgot who asked you, oh, what do you do? What do you do? I'm a lawyer. And everybody always had a legal problem or an issue. And I would, at, by, by the, by the end of the week, I was doing like a portable law office and I would, I would just get in the car and I said, Oh, I'm a lawyer. Anybody have a legal problem? Oh my God. My, my husband sued me for divorce. A woman would say, Oh my God, my, my, my boyfriend beat me up. Or, and I would, and half the time I would give them my card and say, you know, I can't represent you, but you know, I, 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 I know people who know people. And if a few people would follow up, but I would give them and I would say, okay, right there, right there in the, in the cab, right? It's a good one hour. And I would say, okay, you know, look at this website, you know, this is the person to call, to give them my name. And, and I said, oh my God. And then, and the, uh, frankly, the seven weeks went by really quickly and I felt that I was useful. I mean, I was useful. I was using my brain and I said, God, did you put me in the car with those people? I think you did. I think you did. I think you want to say, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And, and there's something that you could be doing. And it, 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 we, it applies to every single one of us because once that devil gets hold and that pity party takes place, it is so hard to, to, to move ourselves out of it. And we just have to be prepared for it and, and know in advance saying, okay, you know, I'm not going to be solving the world. I, maybe I can't host. I used to love to host lots of people in my house and I, I, I love to cook. I can't do that anymore. I just, I just can't but I can host one person or I can, I can cater, you know, I can order, you know, pizza. <laughs> and, um, as you say, as you said, you loved, and evidently Carol is their person is, is this, you know, I have noticed those qualities in her. She's the person who loves sharing. She, she's the, a great advisor. And through that, my daughter, during the time I was, you know, my daughter was going to school. She went to Brooklyn College. So she took, she was a physics major where she got this, you know. And then when she graduated, she said, "Um, Mom, I don't think I wanted to go into physics anymore to go into, um, I just want to go because of what I've seen, you've been through and seen other people go through at the hospital. I think I want to become a physician assistant. So she, this is, this is the, the, the road she is on and Carol has been coaching her, which I'm so grateful for. And, you know, just, you know, leading her in the right direction. And wow. this is a child who would not even look at a drop of blood. Wow. Hmm. Carol, Cecilia, it has been uh, it has been very eye-opening and encouraging and uh, even filling me with hope. And I thought I was hopeful to begin with. 
But I appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your story. I like hearing the tag teaming. You know, one will talk and then the other will get some ideas from that. <laughs> you want you want to go on the road? Yeah, I think we do. Yes. I, I, also, yes, I told her. Also, something I like to do, if you come to Brooklyn anytime, you can just look us up because, yeah. um, well, we, uh, you know, I'm West Indian, so I'm really like like to host nice little parties in the back, in my backyard. So, <laughs> so right. we can. We need an agent, Cecilia. We have to get an agent. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories and being vulnerable. And uh, I know you're going to share a lot of hope with people. People who are just getting diagnosed and listening to this, thinking their life is over and hearing, wow, it might not be over. It's not the end. Stage four no. is just, a, it's a, to me, like they say, age is a number. Stage four is just telling you that you just have to be stronger and you have to just find that the the the, the, the resiliency in you to bring it out because you know you're going to be given drugs that your body, that's destroying your body. You're given, um, and most of the medical world do not want you to juice or to do any um, other treatments because they want to know that the, the drugs or the medications that they're using out there is what is really, is what's causing the healing. But it's not, that's not the only factor. You have to embrace your, your, your supreme being and at the same time, be wise and be smart as what you go around. Be careful, you know, be, be knowledgeable, become aware of your eating, your surrounding, your environment. And just change up your lifestyle, and then you know gradually, it will be it will be better. My mom has a story says the sickness disease is coming a horse's back in that speed, back in in full speed, but it takes the long time to go get back to where it came from. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you again. Thank you. Jim, your Disney bus riding has nothing on that. Or, excuse me, bus driving. Yeah, I wasn't just a rider, Allie. <laughs> I controlled that thing. Even with your fairy <laughs> dust. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't call it fairy dust. It's just magic dust or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't. It kind of paled to what she's done. Though it was but fun for me. I appreciate you trying. <laughs> That's all I can do. But yeah, well, how... <laughs> How about that? I mean, the story, it's just so non-coincidental that those two intersected right there. Seriously. For somebody to be on the ground during such a pivotal moment in our country's history and then hear about it, and it's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, I always wonder about the people. I know there's so many people that uh, have developed diseases, cancers and stuff from being down there and breathing in all that dust. But uh, it's the first time I've actually talked to somebody who was affected by that physically. So that was incredible. It's not something you expect to happen when you get up that morning, obviously, but you know, she knew she needed a mask, but you just don't take the time to go shopping for a mask when something like that happens. She just did what she knew to do and, and uh, very impressive. Yeah, I thought so. All anyway. of it, both of them, everyone, everything. Well done, Jim. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was, I was just flabbergasted after that one. I had to sit for a while. I'm, not, yeah. I'm okay now. Are you? <laughs> I really. think you could take it from here on your own. You're doing so well. Thank you. I feel good now. You've been listening to the I Am Healing Strong podcast. Every week we bring you stories of hope from people who are facing life-altering challenges and finding out that God has a plan for your life no matter what you're facing. It's all a part of the Healing Strong organization. To find out more about Healing Strong, go to their website at healingstrong.org.